Remain standing to hear God's word given to us. It comes from 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 as we jump back into our sermon series. God's word. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning ready, eager to hear your word. We know the work that it will do, can do on our hearts. So may this not be a mental exercise. May this be a whole body exercise. Our head, our heart, and our hands. Be with Andrew as he brings us your word this morning, Lord. May you give him great peace as he brings us what can be cutting, but what is so beautiful when it's sewn up. Pray this all in Christ's wonderful and beautiful name. Amen. You may be seated. You pick that up on your own. You know, as we think about life, none of us wish for affliction. Uh, we don't wish it on anybody. We're not like the ascetics who, who feel like uh, to, to beat your body is, is somehow a, a good thing. Nevertheless, it is true that we learn so much through our affliction. Um, one of the folks that I have learned a lot from over the years is a person, many of you know, Johnny Erickson Tata in her uh, afflicted state. She's been a quadriplegic for over 50 years. She endured cancer, extreme ongoing pain. 
But she will say things like, you know, God knows the precise tools to use in your life to cut, facet, cleanse, and refine the diamond that is your eternal soul. Every good thing that God has ever given you will last for all eternity, including the best part of every affliction. So she has credibility when it comes to speaking about affliction. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Just take a look at this story that she shares. File this, Francie, and make copies of this letter, would you? I say this to my secretary without looking up from my desk. And, oh yes, would you please pull out the sofa bed one more time? Francie says, are you serious? Again? Again, I say. And with that, my face flushed and my eyes became damp. For the fourth time that day, I needed to be lifted out of my wheelchair and laid down. I had to undress and readjust my corset. Shallow breathing, sweating, skyrocketing blood, skyrocketing blood pressure were signaling that something was either pinching, bruising, or sticking my paralyzed body. My secretary tissued away my tears and unfolded my office sofa bed. She shifted my body, examining my legs and hips for any telltale pressure or marks or red areas. I stared vacantly at the ceiling. I want to quit this, I mumbled. We couldn't find anything wrong. She put my clothes back on, hoisted me back into my chair, and stepped back. I looked sheepish. Where do I go to resign from this stupid paralysis? I think we get that. The Apostle Paul talks about this in terms of groaning. The tense that we inhabit, we groan as he says. But yet, for people like Paul, for people like Johnny, for people like you and me, the groaning doesn't have to be the end of the story. Our desire to quit our stupid afflictions, to quit our stupid paralysis or whatever it might be, uh, may be maybe part of the anchor that is helping us get through this life. And that's what I want to explore for you this morning, uh, or explore with you. Uh, as we look at this passage, I included the, the verses from chapter 4 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, 16 to 18 there, because in some senses, you know, obviously there is a continuation of thought in 5.1. Paul says, for we know that this tent is not our earth, this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. He's connecting the thought that comes in five with that that has gone ahead. But on the other hand, too, even further, in 16 and 18, I think you get an outline kind of of where we're going. On the one hand, you have this wasting away aspect of our life, the groaning part, if you want to write that next to wasting away. But then on the other side, you have the weight of glory, which is our guarantee and, and which is the thing that is actually our anchor. We often think about 
anchors as being things that put us to the ground. But what Paul is saying is just the opposite. We are anchored in heaven. We are anchored with the promises. We're anchored with the hope that we have that's not earthly, but rather is heavenly. So want to walk through that and then see what it means for our lives as we go forward. Don't want to spend a lot of time on the wasting away and the groaning. We've been looking at it uh, over the, the last several weeks as we've seen Paul's despair, as we've seen his affliction, as we've seen the idea that he is a jar of clay, that he is being led in triumphal procession, willing to be poured out like an offering. All of these things are concepts that we have heard. Uh, and he continues to drive it home. He says, Look at what we have here right now is a tent. It is temporary. It is, uh, it is uh, destructible. It is not as permanent as a building would be. It doesn't have foundations in the same way that something else would have. Several things that are going on with this. You know, Paul was a tent maker, so he's very familiar with what tents were. Tents were not all bad. Uh, you know, we've said throughout this that there is not this sort of body-spirit distinction that the Greeks had that Paul is somehow adopting and he's uh, denigrating the body in over, uh, over towards the spirit. In fact, it's just the opposite as we'll see as we go on through this. But Paul is emphasizing the transience. He is emphasizing the idea that what we experience now in our bodies, in this world, is not all that there is. Is that it's not all that we hope for, it's not all that we long for. And if it is, we're struggling. You know, then our afflictions take on a whole different meaning. If all that we have is right here and right now, then, you know, to use the words of Paul, we, we are to be pitied among all people because it is going to disappear. Eventually, that tent fabric is going to wear out. Eventually, uh, a storm is going to come that is going to flatten it. Eventually, it is not going to sustain as we go forward. Uh, Paul says, this is our experience now. Our outer self is wasting away. And so we groan. And we've talked about this at length. So like I said, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but just see the contrast that Paul is building. But what he really wants to say is this. Yes, this is our reality. Yes, we are jars of clay. Yes, we are beaten almost to the point of despair, but, but, but we have a hope. There is a greater reality that is our anchor, not so much on earth, so this is a kite that is pointed downward, you know, being held by heaven, not a kite that is anchored to earth that is somehow flying in the air. You know, we have an anchor, we have a reality that allows us in our tents 
to navigate this world with courage, a word that he uses a couple of times and a word that we'll come back to in a little bit. What is that reality? Well, there's, there's two things here, really. Um, the, the first is this, that we have the promise of a presence with God for eternity. Uh, you, you see that in verses uh, roughly 7 and 8 of this, um, where Paul says, well, I guess verse 6, we, we know that we, while we are uh, at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. He's not saying that the Lord isn't with us. It's kind of a, a weird uh, way to say things there. But what he's saying is we're away from our eternal home, that presence that we will have uh, with God for all eternity. He goes on and he says, yes, but we are good courage. Uh, we would rather be away from the body, away from the tent, and at home with the Lord. So he is, he is digging into this promise that we will be with the Lord. It's very similar. In fact, it's almost uh, identical to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, the, the passage that we had earlier, where in verse 21 he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. He, he is saying that we have a present condition, but there is also a future condition coming. And, and Paul, like I said, he sinks his, his hooks into that. It is something that is so solid for him. In fact, it's even more solid for him than the ground that I'm standing on. It's even more solid for him than the reality of what he is going to. Because it is a building as opposed to a tent. It is something with foundations whose builder and maker is God, he says a little bit earlier. Uh, this is solid. He lives today uh, hooked into, anchored in what he knows to be true. But this is the second part of it. It's not just simply the hope of heaven, you know, this sort of out there somewhere reality that is his anchor, that is the real, real for him or the true truth. Uh, but it is the promise of the resurrection and all that that holds. Notice what he says there. He, he is saying at the beginning, He's saying, if this tent, which our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in this heaven, uh, or, or eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, there's some controversy or there's some discussion. What exactly is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the final state of heaven, as he does later on, and being in the presence of the Lord? Or is he talking specifically about our resurrection bodies? You know, because if he is talking about our bodies as being the tent, he is then contrasting that with our heavenly dwelling, this, uh, this dwelling that is made not by human hands, but by God himself. Different theologians have taken different positions. Um, I would just say, 
Yes, uh, he's, he's talking about both. I mean, do we really put that much of a distinction between this? But it is important to recognize what Paul is saying about the resurrection. And, and this is consistent, of course, with what he's already taught the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that the resurrection is our blueprint for life. You know, it's, it's the death of Christ in terms of our atonement, but if we really want to know what it means to live, we live into the resurrection. We live into the renewal. We live into uh, the reality that though our outer self is, being, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. This is the thing that gives us not just a hope of something that is coming later on, but it is a present reality that is filling us day by day. So, yes, we see the presence, the future promise, but we also have the resurrection reality day by day. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can illustrate this sort of backwards. Some of you are familiar with Oscar Wilde and, and his novel, uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, in The Picture of Dorian Gray, uh, here you have this young playboy who was uh, very beautiful, and he was captured in a portrait uh, by an artist. And he fell in love with the portrait. He, he loved it, and he actually said, oh, I wish that uh, I could be maintained just like this portrait. In fact, if I could be maintained externally as beautiful as this portrait has captured me, I would sell my soul if I could be that way and then the portrait could bear uh, the, the, the marring of the visage. That was terrible English, but, uh, you know, if my, the portrait could bear sort of the true marks. And so that's what happened. You know, over the next several years, Dorian Gray remained perfect on the outside. Uh, he, he did not change one iota. He remained just this beautiful young man who, who went through life. But in the course of his time, as he rejected a young woman who eventually ended up committing suicide as he pursued a life of promiscuity and all of these different things, the portrait changed. A and after a while, I mean, he committed murder, he did all of these different things. I mean, the portrait itself, which he locked away in a closet and he wouldn't take out and look at until the end, you know, he took it out and looked at it, it wasn't even recognizable. You see, what's happening there is just the opposite of what's happening to us. What's happening with Dorian Gray is his outer self is being preserved while his inner self is being wasted away. But what Paul is saying to us is, look it, you may be breaking down, you may be, you know, having a marred visage, but your inner self is being renewed day by day. And I, I love the progress element that Paul has here in this, uh, in this passage. Three different ways he says that this is a growing reality. Your inner self is being renewed, 4.16. In verse 4 of chapter 5, he talks about it. 
Not that we would be simply clothed, but that we would be further clothed. Uh, and, and then he, he comes back again. Uh, he talks about the mortality being swallowed up by life. You know, all of those things involve sort of a greater than. If you're swallowing up, it's not just that it's disappearing, right? Our mortality is just fading away, but it's, it's being replaced by something bigger. It's, it's the little fish that is swallowed up by the big fish, but the big fish remains, and it is greater than the little fish. And that's what Paul wants us to see and experience. He wants us to experience that greater than ness that we have in our life. Now, what's so interesting, I, I hope you're with me, uh, what's so interesting here is that the way, what is the way, how do I say this? There is a direct relationship between our outward wasting away and our inner renewal. You see, we, we tend to want to move from weaker to stronger. But, but that's not the way that the scriptures work. And this has, in fact, been Paul's point all along. You know, and, and that was part of the problem in Corinth. The super apostles were saying, you can't have a legitimate gospel, Paul, because look at all of the affliction that you've endured in your life. This must invalidate the things that you are preaching. And Paul's saying, no, it's just the opposite. Because as I am wasting away, my inner self is being renewed. In fact, there's such a connection there that if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to know him more and more, the way up is the way down. You know, the way to be filled is to become emptied. It's, it's not the way that we think about it. I was trying to I was trying to capture some of this idea, and you know, I just kept coming back to Paul's image that he uses in Philippians chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. You know, that, that image of, of the liquid spilling, but yet we know that he's a container, and God is filling him. We see different images of that throughout the scriptures, Isaiah 58, other places, you know, God is filling him. How do we get more liquid into ourselves if that's God's filling? How do we get more liquid in? Well, it's only by emptying out the liquid. You know, if we, if we are emptied out, if we are poured out, then that creates more room for God to fill us. And that's what Paul is encouraging us here. He's saying, yes, we have these temporary, mobile decaying tense. But there is the promise of being with God. There is the resurrection reality, and it is a growing reality in our life that even as we go through the difficulties here and now, as we endure these inflictions, we are being filled. We are being filled with the reality of who Jesus is. And so we come back and we say, you know, do we, do we believe this? You know, are we really anchored upwards rather than anchored downwards? I mean, you, you see, it's, it's all the difference in the world. 
You know, if, if, if we want to put it in language that Dan used last week, you know, are we loving the things that God has promised us? Are we loving this greater reality which is not seen? And that's what Paul was saying. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know, if we walk by sight, we're anchored on the downward. We're anchored on the things of earth. We're anchored on the fleshly, those things. But if we are, are walking by faith, we are anchored into the things that we don't see. And so this is why Paul can say, look it, I would rather depart and be with the Lord. I mean, he doesn't just accept death. You know, and this is not what this is about. Uh, you know, some of us, we want to say, we want to come to a point where we want to be okay with our death. I'm going to go a step further and say, that's not what Paul is pushing us to. Paul is pushing us to a place where we are eager for our death, where we are embracing it. We are meeting it like a friend because we know that our death will usher us into the presence of the Lord. Is that the reality? Is that the reality that we are experiencing embracing. Now again, I, I don't say any of those things to denigrate our existence here. We don't elevate the spirit over the flesh in a, in a purely dualistic way. But it's talking about what we love and what we're anchored to and how real is God versus how real this existence is right here. The last thing that I want to point out for you is that this type of reality really uh, encourages us or it gives us the strength. It, it releases us, maybe is a better way, to walk boldly, uh, to walk with courage. You know, if the first part, we're wasting away, we groan. The second part, the weight of glory is the guarantee of what's real. You know, walking boldly here, we go. We go with confidence. Two times he uses that word, verse 6, 8, or courage. Uh, we are always of good courage. Then verse 8, yes, we are good courage, whether we are away from God or whether we are moving towards God in the heavenly dwelling. We always have courage. I think about courage a lot, mostly when I'm lacking it. Uh, I think about, you know, Lord, how, what does courage look like? And, and courage looks like a lot of things. Uh, courage looks like, you know, some uh, moving forward in the face of loneliness and loss. Uh, courage looks like doing the right thing when the wrong thing would be a lot easier. Uh, courage looks like, you know, facing down a physical enemy. Uh, you know, whether it's in our bodies or, or somehow, courage looks different for everybody. But here's the thing about courage. You can only have courage when you are really afraid. You know, without fear, there's no need for courage. A and so if you are afraid right now, God talks to you. And he says, I know your fear. Whatever it is you're facing, I, I know your fear. Fear for your kids. 
You know, fear for loved ones, fear for the future. I, I know that fear. But what I'm inviting you to is a greater reality that lends courage in the face of fear. And, and Paul says this is a reality. I mean, Paul certainly knew what it was like to be afraid. He had lost so much. But he says, we have courage as a result of where I've set my hope, a result of the anchor that is in heaven. So he not only, he not only can you know, move forward, but he moves forward with courage, and he also moves forward with purpose. You don't get that so clearly here. Well, I guess you do. I mean, if you look at verse 9, he says, so, whether we are at home, you know, finally with the Lord, or away, currently here in this body, we make it our aim to please Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for, uh, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I think there's two different ways to understand this. Well, let me say a couple of things. Uh, we, Paul has a very clear purpose in mind, and that is to please the Lord. Coming out of what he loves, right? Not seeking to gain something, but coming out of what he already knows to be true and what has captured his heart and what loves, what, what he now loves, he wants to please the Lord. That's, that's always the direction, and that's always the order. We find that we are loved, we find that we are, are bought, we are held, we are safe, we are given courage, and so therefore, we aim to please the Lord. And he does it mindful of the fact that there is a judgment coming. But it's not so much a judgment that he fears, because we know at the end of this chapter uh, that Jesus was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul doesn't have any fear of this judgment, but he wants his life to be pleasing to the Lord, especially with respect to those around him who do not have his hope, who do not share his conviction. Look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, Paul, Paul's orientation is, is never for himself. His orientation is always for others. It was the same thing in, in, or in, uh, sorry, uh, in Philippians chapter 1. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, even though he would rather you know, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is to far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, Paul always has this other orientation. And here's the thing that I came to realize this week. And you can check me, push back on this, whatever. The thing that really sets apart our existence now from our existence in heaven it's not our sanctification. It's not our faith in growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
those things will all be present in heaven. In fact, they'll be complete in a completed sort of way. But what sets apart our existence right now is the opportunity to evangelize. It's the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else because that will not exist in heaven. There is going to be no one to share the gospel with, for all will know, and the judgment will have happened, and we will be judged whether good or evil, and, and it will be finished. So if you want to think about what is it that separates our life now from our life to come, at least one category has got to be this. And this is why Jesus gave us that great commission as he was as he was heading off into heaven, he's saying, look it, here you are now, go, go into all the earth, share. You know, Paul says, look it, this is the reality, and so therefore I persuade others. I persuade them about these truths. Something to think about in terms of our own lives and the direction and the orientation you know, God has brought us together. He gives us his word. He equips us not simply that we would have a relationship with him, not simply that we would be released from our own troubles, that we would have all of this. That's all part of it. I mean, we know the truth and we live into that. But he sets us free so that filled with the love of Christ, we would promiscuously share that love with others, that we would soar with the grace of God into the reality of others. Johnny constantly is going back to the truths of Scripture as she moves through her life, and you just think about the, the testimony that she has had. How many people has she persuaded you know, because of the integrity and the authenticity, the weakness that she has held out for others. She says this, when these scriptures, these promises strike a resonant chord in my heart, I tune into the melody and hold myself in the state of listening to heaven's music. Before I know it, the song lifts me and I'm soaring on spirit wings, breathing celestial air. I'm in heaven. And it's a glorious vantage point from which to look down on my pain and problems. The soul that mounts to heaven's kingdom cannot fail to triumph. It's odd that it took a wheelchair, something that in a very real way bolts me to earth, to help me see the futility of fighting spiritual battles on an earthly plane. When I attempt to live on the same low level as my bolts, gears, wheels, and leathers, I make blunder after blunder. I am powerless there until I shift to a higher battleground and choose a different perspective. When I only look at my existence uh, from, uh, from Earth's perspectives and I fail to look at it from Heaven's perspectives, trials look different. When viewed from its own level, my paralysis seems huge, like an impassable wall. It dominates my landscape, but when viewed from above, the wall appears as a tiny thin line 
something that can be overcome. It was, I discovered, that bird's eye view that is promised in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. <coughs> eagles overcome the lower law of gravity by the higher law of flight. And what is true for birds <coughs> is true for the soul. Souls that soar to heaven's heights on wings like evil, eagles overcome the mud of earth, the tents that keep us stuck to a temporal limited, decaying perspective. If you want to see heaven's horizons as well as place the earth appropriately in your rearview mirror, all you need to do is to stretch your wings and soar. This is who you are. In Christ, you have been given the wings that enable you to soar. The bird's eye view that helps us to see what is really real. And once we soar, we don't want to hold it for ourselves. We want to say, look, I'm flying. I'm flying. And so share it with all, with all that they might share in the beauty of flight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for its promises. We thank you for its reality. Lord, all of us, all of us need that anchor. We need the reality, not of tents, but of a home, a dwelling place built, not with human hands, but by you. What it promises us, what it uh, provides for us both in the here and now. Lord, we ask that you would help us to soar and help us to share that with all that we come in contact with. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.